So I am Ryan Pat. And I'm Nicole Barlow. And I'm Brandis Wilson. And this is Soundtrack for Life, where we talk to a guest about a soundtrack that they feel connected to. Returning to the podcast is Austin from I Hate Your Taste in Movies. She was our guest for our episode on Annie, and along with her co-host Jen, she was our guest for Love Actually. But today we are going to talk about the 2001 and 2004 films, Shrek 1 and Shrek 2. Nicole kind of selected these movies. Kind of. But uh, Austin, um, why are you joining us today? I Well, thank you for having me, first of all. I'm excited to be back. Um, I kind of signed myself up for this unintentionally <laughs> by replying to a tweet. So, I mean, it's... It was it was it was fun to kind of go back and and listen to the soundtracks and watch the movies again, um, and uh, I I was surprised at some of my feelings towards both of them, but I still think that the soundtracks are really good, so I'm excited to talk about them. And so Nicole, why did you want to talk about these movies? Well, to be honest, this started as a little bit of a punk because sometimes when Ryan goes on vacation, he leaves me the keys to social accounts. And so when he left me the keys to Twitter, I'm like, well, I'm just going to see who wants to hear about the Shrek soundtracks. Because I feel like they're both like crit- like lauded, loved, and also super divisive. So it would be really fun to talk about the Shrek soundtracks. And of course, there's like this overwhelmingly like, yeah, hell yeah, you should talk about Shrek on this podcast. So that's sort of how it kicked off. But I was telling Ryan before we started recording, I think I've done more research and gone down more rabbit holes for Shrek than I have for anything else we've ever recorded. And I too was very surprised by, um, you know, some of my feelings and some of the the nostalgia I felt towards Shrek and the, the associated artists on the Shrek soundtrack. I think before we get to that though, like, I kind of want to know from the group, like, are we Shrek movie fans? How do we feel about the Shrek cinematic universe? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> that's why I asked it. I know who you're primed for, but uh, Ryan, you're about to say something, so I'll let you go first. No, I want to hear what you have to All say. All right, Ryan. me negative Nelly here. Um, I was actually kind of shocked because, I mean, first of all, let's all acknowledge that there are actually four Shrek movies. Yes, four. All theatrical release, all the original voiceover talent. This is not like a straight to DVD situation. I have not seen the fourth Shrek movie. I think I've seen the third one once and do not remember it. And everyone else is kind of on the same boat. So we'll only be talking about Shrek 1 and 2. But both of those I saw a ton of times when they first came out when I was like a kid. And I remember loving them so much. So when I heard we're doing Shrek, I was like, cool. And then upon rewatch for this, like yesterday and this morning, I was like, oh, no, (laughs) no, 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 no. What was I thinking? Um, First one, absolutely hated. I was so bored. I was like, can I skip ahead? And then I was like, oh, wait, no, I'm rewatching this for a specific person, like reason. I can't skip ahead because I need to know how the music like weaves into uh, the storyline. Second one. I'm a lot like better with like it's a lot less anticlimactic. Um, it has a lot like more unique storytelling. I like to be sort of meta references and jokes. And as far as soundtrack, hated the soundtrack for the first one. 
Second one, I liked a lot better. So I will give like second movie, soundtrack and movie, like B plus. First one, I don't even know. C, D, something hated universally across the board. But I know that you guys are totally in a different camp. So feel free to hate on me. Well, I wouldn't say that, although I do appreciate, I just want to point out that I really appreciate your commitment to fighting through your disgust so that you can continue to do this podcast with us. So we thank you for your, for my sacrifice. Yeah, I didn't commitment. know this would get train spotting levels of hate. Okay, no, not train yeah, spotting I mean, levels, to be clear. <laughs> I want to know what Ryan thinks about Shrek. So Ryan, <laughs> like you just rewatched it as well. I've kind of like recently rewatched it because we both have kids. So there's this thing of like, let's just pull that, let's pull that off the shelf and see how that plays. I also wanted to point out, um, not to out anyone's age, but I think that Nicole and I, when Shrek came out, were adult-aged, but, you know, clearly not adults. Well, I think Austin yeah. and Brandis were uh, the target demographic as, as kids yeah. or, mm-hmm. or not adults. Um, so I think that plays into it. I remember watching it with um, a friend of mine in college, and he... This is going to date us. So we went to Blockbuster Video to buy it, and then we found an older kid to buy us a six-pack of Smirnoff Ice so we could <laughs> watch it in my dorm room. Oh, you and got drink. iced and watched Shrek? Yeah, we got iced, memory. and then after the second bottle, I remember my friend saying, my teeth really hurt from all the sugar. Um, <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to have the third bottle. <laughs> but um, I thought it was really clever back in 2001, and um, upon rewatching it, I was surprised that even though some of the jokes are a little bit dated, that it was it is still a very, uh, very fresh and clever movie. And I didn't realize that in 2001 that it premiered at Cannes and got a 12 minute standing ovation. Yeah, I oh, that was part of the rabbit hole that I dug for myself is that it actually did remarkably it was remarkably well received at Cannes and that they were really nervous that the filmmakers were like, well, great. Well, we have like an ogre farting in a swamp at Cannes. I don't really think that this is going to be any sort of success, but it actually did just fine. And obviously went on to make um, a gazillion dollars. So how much of like the CGI and like the new technology and like new forms of storytelling had anything to do with that though? I think, and this is something that I want, I think is important to point out about Shrek. Shrek's what, like 23 years old now, somewhere around that, that marker. I think at the time it was a fresh concept because it was explicitly anti-Disney and it was explicitly this fractured fairy tale, right? So uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who used to be an executive at Disney, formed DreamWorks and had it out for Michael Eisner, who was at that time the, the head of Disney. They they had a huge falling out. They did not get along. It's sort of common knowledge that the villain in Shrek, Lord Farquaad, is Michael Eisner. Uh, so I kind of love that. I kind of love that there is this like major like fuck you to big Disney that is pervasive throughout these films. Like they were kind of like bold enough to do something that was very much in the face of what traditional animation had been up to that point, but also what uh, animated films relied on in terms of score and in terms of soundtracks. But I want to know, Austin, like, what are your memories? What's your kind of like nostalgia hit with Shrek? Yeah, I mean, I was, like you said, the target demographic. I was 10 when the first one came out. So, which I feel like is a good age for it because you're, a little bit older so like you're not super young so the jokes 
for the most part you get, but you get to feel a little bit adult with the, cause I know that's the other big thing with Shrek is it's like, oh, there's the humor for the adults and all this, which I think is true to an extent. And I think when you're 10 and watching it, you get to kind of feel like you're in on the joke and that you're more like older. I don't know. I, that's, I remember, <laughs> I remember being like, oh, I'm so smart. I get these like more adult references, you know? So I watched, definitely watched it when it came out in theaters. I don't specifically remember, and I was surprised when I rewatched it, how well I remembered it. Because I don't remember watching it many times. I must have. But, like, I was watching it a couple days ago, and I was quoting it. And then I did not expect that, because I don't have a strong memory of the first one. Uh, and then the second one, I definitely remember the soundtrack more than I remembered the movie as well. So it, they're just movies that, like, I definitely watched a lot when I was younger and when they came out. I wouldn't say they had a huge impact on me, but uh, when I was rewatching them, I was pleasantly surprised at how well I remembered them and how much I still enjoyed them. Even though, yeah, like you said, there's some dated stuff in there. There's some stuff that doesn't really work as well today as it did then, but um, I, I had a good time watching them, to be honest. It's interesting that you said you remember the soundtrack better than the film, because that was me too. Like, like Ryan, because we're the same age cohort. I also remember probably being in a dorm room, like getting lit on Smirnoff Ice. So that was more our experience with Shrek, is that we were probably like a little too old for it and a little bit cynical about animation to begin with. So I, I'm sure I wasn't like the prime target audience for it yet. I can distinctly remember having that soundtrack on CD and I think the reason that I had it on CD is because of Hallelujah and because of uh, because of Rufus Wainwright. I think it might have been at that time, like maybe the one of the ways that you could get like that particular song. I was really into him as an artist. I didn't know shit about Leonard Cohen. So for me, I'm this like young, struggling Smirnoffy adult that is like, oh, cool. This is like a gateway to something that I I don't understand because it took these kind of like big swings and risks in its soundtrack. Like people know it for Smash Mouth. <laughs> like I think the, the most people are like, well, Shrek gave us Smash Mouth, which is true, but it also gave us a lot of other weirder things, I think. Yeah, and Absolutely. I read that Smash Mouth made a huge, like that? they kept rejecting the offer to use All Star in the movie. They were very like, protective of the song which is kind of funny because it's been memed to death at this point but they're like can we see a cut of it and they're like you're not a dreamworks employee so we can't give it to you <laughs> and so um the story is okay. so they had reservations about it so they went to a different dreamworks artist or they went to a dreamworks artist um matt mahaffrey from self and since he was on the label they actually let him watch a cut of the movie and he made a song for it, but when they tested it with audience, it just did not hit as well as All Star. And then finally they had Smash Mouth watch it, like they flew someone on a plane with a copy of it on VHS to show the band. And then finally they okayed it. And uh, now I think they're thankful for it. They, I, I think these, this has to be an exaggeration. They said for 20 years at every show, there's at least one person who dresses up as Shrek. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that is amazing. I love that they're like so discerning. And the number one reason why I love that they're on this soundtrack is because it's so like annoying and broad that I think it fits the movie so well. Like, I think that's my number one complaint of the first movie is I love the digs at Disney and I love being that anti fairy tale, but I feel like they went like 10 or 15%. 
like the two parts that I see that are distinctly anti-Disney was when they were like had the 45 minute wait with like the stanchions and then that like <laughs> intro thing to the town with like the small little like dolls that's obviously knocking on it's a small world and I feel like those moments and like really just making an anti-fairy tale is like what was so special but on the whole the actual storytelling narrative was still very fairy tale. It was still very basic. And then as for the soundtrack, like I felt that for the record, hate Smash Mouth. Even like the cover of like, I'm a believer, like both of them so obnoxious, but I feel like tonally it fits the movie so well. Like you need that grating, broad, just like really obnoxious earworms, you know, that really fits the tone of like the movie Shrek, but also the character of Shrek. And I felt like all the rest of the songs were trying too hard. They were like too serious and they just didn't have that like tone that was right. And so I would have loved for like the soundtrack to have like dug in more on just being like super loud and obnoxious and like for the storytelling to like do the same thing. Like I wanted them to take the concept of Shrek and like fully run with it. For the record, Brand is called Shrek a basic bitch. <laughs> I did. It is absolutely I mean, basic bitch. And I think that's why the second movie works better is because they dug in more yeah. on like the meta references and they got a little bit like more like gnarly and the music was a little bit I think tonally like more correct there were still some songs that I felt like oh yeah still trying to be like a legitimate soundtrack here but like still I, yeah. I, I think that they like ran with it more in the second one like they had more confidence and I wish that they would have done that in the first one well it's interesting that you said that right because I, I think the tonal thing is maybe due in part to some of the like the approach that they took to this it, I was reading all of these accounts of how they put the first soundtrack together. And apparently the filmmakers really just kind of sat around along with Michael Eisner too. And we're kind of going by ear and what they loved and make. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> really bad about that. Yeah. No, the other guy, the other Disney guy who was also like a white executive anyway. So they sat around in a room and were just like, I really like this CD. I really like this song. I really like this artist. And I think they were really putting together more of a mixtape. And what they had said was, we weren't really inspired by other animated soundtracks and we're more kind of into like a Tarantino approach. And you, I think you can kind of feel that. There's more of this um, approach to soundtracks for film. They wanted to create needle drop moments. They wanted to make needle drops a thing for animation. So I think there was really kind of... Um, like there's a hit and miss thing with that right it was new and so they tried it and i think some of it works out great some of it maybe lives a little bit better on the soundtrack than it does against picture i'm just like how do you put hallelujah and smash mouth on the same like like soundtrack like i'm sorry but in what world does someone want to listen to both of those things either you're like in the camp of appreciating hallelujah or you're like i really love smash mouth <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so how how much do we, how much, what's our tolerance level for All Star by Smash Mouth or I'm a Believer, which is the cover? Like, how, what, do we like it? Do we hate it? In the movie, 100%. In real life, independent of the movie, negative 100%. <laughs> like, Austin, are you listening to, like, Smash Mouth recreationally? What's embarrassing is that I do have Smash Mouth's I'm a Believer on my running playlist. So I do listen to it in yeah. real life more than, um, more than I, I mean, I guess I just admitted it, but more than I would care to admit. Uh, it's a good song for a running playlist. Um, I will 
allow that. Workout music is not like the same as like, oh, I really enjoy sitting around listening to this yeah. music. I, I like, couldn't tell like, you any other Smash Mouth songs, I guess. <laughs> so I, I'm not actively seeking out their music. Yeah. I think it's also important to remember for context that the reason, to Ryan's point about Smash Mouth having kind of all of this like sway and pull and and them being so sought after for this is that they were like super ubiquitous at this point. Like they were a big band. They were a big deal. So at that moment, having Smash Mouth on your soundtrack meant attention for your movie. And it meant that in the test screenings, audiences were like, cool, I'm wild about this because I already know this song. Had they gone with um, the track by Self, which is actually a legit song, and it ends up in the end credits for Shrek 1, had they gone that direction, who knows if Shrek would have taken off the way that it did. Oh, again, I'm saying I am arguing for Smash Mouth in the context of the movie and against Hallelujah. I forgot that that song was in this movie. And when it started playing, I was like, oh, my God. You're like, Hallelujah what the happened? <laughs> well, OK, so interesting thing about Hallelujah film too because I could do a whole other podcast on hallelujah and next time I run the twitter that's probably what I'll ask y'all to vote on but hallelujah in this movie is the John Cale version of hallelujah allegedly because they thought it was like the most depressing version essentially (laughs) like oh this is like a total bummer and it's not pretty it's not beautiful the way like the Rufus Wainwright version is so John Cale ends up in the movie Rufus Wainwright's version ends up on the soundtrack and it's like one oh, of the first times that it was licensed for TV or film. Wait, seriously? I feel like I hear it huh. all the time now. Again, not that I don't love that, that song. I love that song. I am just like, what the hell it's is It's one of Shrek's legacies. Wow. It's Shrek's legacy. What you don't know is that Shrek did that shit because at that point, nobody's talking about Leonard Cohen. Nobody's using Hallelujah in film and TV. Since Shrek came out, that has been used a minimum of 46 times in film and television, that song. Shrek walked so everyone else could run. <laughs> I think that's the whole quote for social. Shrek is the face that like, launched a thousand ships. I do think the Shrek- a lot of it is is that, though, where you kind of forget that like when it came out it was kind of revolutionary that's maybe too strong of a word but like it did a lot of things for the first time and now it's kind of mundane and we see that all the time but I think it's easy to forget that it it really did um kind of set a new standard yeah we're so jaded now that we don't realize that Shrek broke open a lot of things for Shrek lumbered so that that we could run and also be like super bummed out by Leonard Cohen. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a serious song for like the least serious movie of all time. <laughs> but that's why I love it. I love it because it it goes there and and we haven't even talked about Shrek 2 yet which I think tonally is way darker, grittier, weirder, mm-hmm. has a way weirder ca- like list of artists. So let me tie Shrek 1 and Shrek 2 together. So Shrek 2 has a Tom Waits song on the soundtrack. Shrek 1, they wanted to have a Tom Waits song when Donkey and Shrek are looking at the clouds, but they were too concerned that audiences would think that Tom Waits' voice is Shrek trying to sing. (laughs) Which is like a Cookie Monster thing, because he sounds like Cookie Monster. I don't know if you guys have seen that mashup. No, but he has like the most gravelly voice. Yeah, it's I, I get it, kind of. But like, I like that they were like, oh no, like kids might be like, oh, is that Shrek trying to sing? 
that's also so that's fair. terrifying. And why am I in like a terrifying carnival? I'm ten. Shrek sounds like a chain they smoker. <laughs> Love it. I will say for the second one, I do think the soundtrack works more. I think tonally it was more on point. I have a personal beef of I actually really love the song I Need a Hero, but I did <laughs> not like the versions that were used for either in the film nor on the credit roll. They used like two totally different versions, but neither like the original. And I was very offended by that. I'm sorry. Can we talk a little bit more about why you're so attached to the song I Need a Hero? I have like very weird random songs that I'm attached to. I don't know why. I just really love that song. I can't explain it. There is no like moment in time where I heard it and it was like this life-changing moment and therefore it like stuck with me for the rest of my life. Like I just randomly like it. And then so I, I forgot that it, like it was in this movie because when I'm a kid, I'm not like familiar with it, right? So then upon this rewatch, I was like, oh yes, love this song. Wait, no, what are you doing to it? No, <laughs> make it stop. I love how you're like, no, Smash Mouth too corny for me, but holding <laughs> out for a hero right in my zone. Yeah, pretty much. I'm trying to remember yeah, what so song it was. There was, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at the soundtrack right now. Um, but there was a time I was doing like bar trivia and and what there was a music round and one of the songs that's on the Shrek 2 soundtrack came out, came up and um I got into an argument with my friend. I was like, because it was a cover on the Shrek 2 soundtrack. Mm -hmm. But I was like, really getting into it. I was like, it's this song. She's like, that's not, that's not the artist. That's not the original artist. I was like, you better put Shrek 2. <laughs> but no, it's fine. Well, let's talk about Shrek 2. So I feel like Shrek 2, at least in terms of finding interesting artists um it far exceeds its predecessor it, it's it's pretty legit uh it's got david bowie doing a version of changes a new version of changes so just again i think to go back in time and and really level set on the kind of cultural power that this movie franchise had they got david bowie to record a new version of changes for shrek 2 it's kind of a big deal yeah uh it's got pete yorn it's got nick cave it's got Tom Waits twice. I think it's got Tom Waits. It's got Dashboard uh, Confessional. It's got Dashboard It has the Buzzcocks. The Buzzcocks are on a Shrek soundtrack. Uh, it has Counting Crows, which I will uh, be an apologist for. <laughs> yeah, and they got, they got Adam nice Duritz to write a song for Shrek 2. It wasn't just a Counting Crow song. It was like, we need you to write a song for this movie. And he said, okay. He was like, that's fine. It worked for Smash Mouth. It's a song called uh, Accidentally in Love. It is a nice little ditty. I think that uh, Adam Duritz knows his way around like a perfectly pleasant melody. So I think it kind of works in this context. Yeah, I just think it's a it's a very weird, interesting, moody soundtrack, especially for a, a kid's movie, ostensibly a kid's movie. Yeah, they threw a lot of money at this one. I think that like all the execs were like, First one did really well. We know that these types of like blockbuster sequels always do better. We can afford to spend the money and it paid off because it like killed in the box office. And yeah, no, they definitely, they threw a lot of more money like at this second soundtrack. Yeah, and with the, with the first one, I feel like there was a little bit of like shoehorning in some DreamWorks artists to kind of, you know, probably offset the amount of money they had to pay Smash Mouth for All-Star and to do I'm a Believer. I think Smash Mouth uh, didn't want to do it, and then 
they had like their album got pushed back so they had some extra time and then finally they relented i'm sure like it was not as complicated as this but it makes them sound out like total divas like no no we don't want to right do it. like all i'm hearing is smash mouth saying no no don't want to do it no like we're sticks in the mud we don't want to do it <laughs> yeah david bowie's like sign me up what's so funny about that too is that in in retrospect now it's like you know artists tell histories of whether or not they got approached for the shrek soundtrack and it's like a badge of honor that you're you're part of the shrek soundtrack I love talking about Billy Corgan beef because Billy Corgan has beef with everyone for absolutely like the thinnest reasons. But apparently Billy Corgan told this story where he claims that Smashing Pumpkins were approached to do the end credit song for Shrek 1, which became um, I, the I'm a Believer cover from Smash Mouth. And he made this kind of like big deal about, yeah, like we would have used the song called Untitled, would have been a way darker direction. <laughs> And then Smash Mouth comes forward and was like, um, actually, no, uh, it always belonged to us. And they called us for months. So Billy Corgan, you're like full of shit was essentially their response, which I think is fucking funny to have like Smash Mouth fighting over street cred <laughs> for Shrek. John Bryan is credited as a producer on the Shrek soundtracks, right. which is is really interesting. That's that's level of cred that you don't often find with film so that's pretty cool yeah he produced that eel song which was um on their album beautiful freak which had uh novocaine for the soul which had that mark romantic video and if you have the mark romantic um video set from the director's label you, there's that commentary with chris rock was like you have mark romantic doing jay-z videos and madonna videos and then the motherfucking eels <laughs> Let's put some respect on the eel's name, though. I feel like, um, I, I don't know if their associations with Shrek held them back or propelled them forward, because how many how many Shrek soundtracks do the eels appear on, Ryan? They're on the first three. I am not super familiar with them, aside from these songs, but if I'm not mistaken, this is like maybe one of the good parts about the Shrek the Third soundtrack, is like, because on the second one, there's the I Need Some Sleep song and then if i'm not mistaken one of the first songs out of the third one is um the first line is like i got some sleep so that's kind of a cute little touch i know we're not really it talking about the third one but <laughs> well, that's okay i mean it's a through line you know they're a, they're a really clever band they're an la band probably probably didn't get as big as maybe they should have been but i think he started playing a lot of shows at largo when they that first started with john bryan that's where that connection comes in but I remember hearing that they played um, one of those like radio festival shows. Like I, I think it was a K-Rock, like almost acoustic Christmas or something. And it had, it was one of those shows where they have the rotating stage. So like one band would finish and then the next band would, it would rotate the stage and the next band would be ready to go. And the band before them was, you know, they're finishing their song and the, the stage started rotating and the Eels finished the song for them. <laughs> and so i don't know i've i've always uh i'm not like the hugest eels fan but i've always really enjoyed like hearing about them like if they had success i was happy for them because it seemed like they were a talented group of guys or at least he's a talented guy and he has that really depressing album yeah. where like it's about how everyone in his family has cancer yeah i mean that they're they're one of those bands that like you you kind of know and that have had a lot of staying power which is interesting and they have this weird connection to 
the Shrek soundtrack. They have a song in the first Shrek soundtrack called My Beloved Monster. So I think that's maybe one of the more, you know, explicitly fitting songs. And it's, it's, it's really fun. And I remember really liking it when I owned that CD. And of course, I didn't know the eels either at that time. So I think when you talk about soundtracks as a gateway to other things, you know, certainly kind of um, peels the onion for you, which I feel like is an appropriate reference here. <laughs> parfait, Nicole. It peels the parfait. The parfait. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to go back to Shrek 2 for a second, I feel like Shrek 2 is a funny one because it's got a lot of things that are very traditionally, you would expect them from a really silly animated film soundtrack, right? It's got Eddie Murphy and Antonio Banderas doing uh, La Vida Loca, right? Which could not be like more early aughts culture. Um, it's got like Lips Incorporated's Funky Town. Like it's a really weird mix of like, you're gonna find Funky Town, you're also gonna find Tom Waits. <laughs> so do we, is that sort of part of what feels off to you, Brandis, that it's like this, maybe that feels like too, uh, too big a bridge. No, she only feels no, that way about I, the first one. Yeah, I only feel mm. that way about the first one. The second one, I mean, I don't think every song fit perfectly, but I do think they did a much better job of making sure that all the songs like fit totally with the whole overall theme of like the film, right? Like, it's not just about like the moment, like again, going back to like, hallelujah, hallelujah. Like, yes, it was supposed to be this, like, depressing, sad moment, you know, like, they're, like, broken up and, like, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, like, overall, like, is that really, like, the tone of the film? Versus in the second one, it's, like, they both fit the songs to the moment, but they also fit it to what is the genre of this film, right? And, like I said, I think that there were, like, a couple where I was, like, eh. But there weren't any where I was, like, oh, God, that was, like, a huge, like, record scratch moment. What is this doing in there? I thought the second one was, like, totally fine music wise and yeah loved eddie murphy and antonio Banderas doing live in la vida loca like that was absolutely great i just want to come out and say i don't know if this is an unpopular opinion but i feel like this is my favorite thing eddie murphy's ever done i absolutely love donkey i think he makes the films i think without donkey you have a, a way lesser version of shrek oh yeah 100 percent. like donkey has to be eddie murphy but it's still not my favorite eddie murphy thing i like was a diehard Eddie Murphy fan, like back in the day as a kid, like he did so many things that like I loved. Um, but I do think he did an extraordinary job as um, as Donkey. And I loved Antonio Banderas as Puss in Boots. And I just want to say that the writers and the animators of the second movie were clearly cat people because they nailed <laughs> Puss in Boots as a cat like 120%. And I think that's what I like respect and appreciate most about that film is cat was on point <laughs> yeah i think you're really just a puss in boots fan and but you're right i think that's why puss in boots kind of took on a life of its own and became its own spinoff in the the scu the Shrek cinematic <laughs> universe <laughs> yeah but another it's another one of those things of like too much of a good thing isn't like really great right like you can't just like hang an entire movie on like this one character that's done better in like smaller dollops. It's like anytime you're trying to take like that character who's like a total like scene stealer and then you make them like in their, in their own movie and like it never really works out quite as well because then they're just like less special if you're seeing them on camera all the time. It's a digression. I have not seen the most recent uh, Puss in Boots movie, but I hear it's good. I, I saw a hilarious actually. tweet about it. Some film professor was like, 
I asked uh, my students how many times uh, they saw Avatar over the winter break, and one of my students uh, raised their hand and says, I didn't see Avatar, but I watched Puss in Boots six times in theaters. (laughs) (laughs) But see, this is a testament to, I think, the staying power of the Shrek cinematic universe because people it's kind of like minions in a way where I feel like um there's a generation of people that will see any any product of that franchise just kind of like out of obligation mm-hmm. yeah it's just kind of like part of um who you are if you if you grew up with it so you're predisposed to liking it even if the latest iteration kind of sucks I think it's always like that familiarity too like you know what the formula is you know what you're going to be in for you know, there's not going to be any sort of like crazy, like marketing, like bait and switches where you think you're going in for like a comedy and then they jerk the rug out from under you. Like, it's nice to like know what you're in for. Right. So I think that's like plays a lot into it as well with like these sort of like bigger franchises. So one thing that I think is really funny is the first Shrek soundtrack, the supervisor is Mary Lotta Elton, who did like Ghostbusters, like very very uh well established i think she was like they gave her like some president title of music at a uh, dreamworks for film because you know she's just, she's a big deal and i feel like whenever we have like a big name music supervisor like uh kathy nelson brandis is like everything they chose was terrible <laughs> guaranteed <laughs> that's so interesting Yeah, well, I think that it's maybe it's the commercial aspect of things too, right? Like never underestimate the power of a test screening. Had there not been a test screening for this film, we'd have a a very different opening intro for Shrek. And who knows? So. Yeah, I think they also wanted to use Season of the Witch in Shrek 1. Yeah, they had been kind of... um, putting it in as as a kind of scratch track, as it were, right? Like seeing how that how that fit. And I can see that. I'm actually surprised it, it didn't get used because Season of the Witch uh, by Donovan is another one of those songs that's like totally ubiquitous in film. It just gets used for everything and for trailers because it's got such a like moodiness to it. Just got in. They just ended up using it in I Shot Andy Warhol instead, which is like the same sort of movie. But yeah, there is a very, there's a very widespread between here's some serious songs from people like Nick Cave and, you know, here is Jennifer Saunders from Absolutely Fabulous uh, singing her version of Holding Out for a Hero as a fairy godmother. So good. So it's like very, it really vacillates wildly between like absolute absurdity and uh, seriousness, which is strange. I mean, I feel like the songs that Donkey sings in these movies by himself, there's a huge range of songs there too. (laughs) huge range that's a good point donkey has like a really interesting like taste in music and that never really like goes into like how is donkey discovering these songs and where is donkey like come like how did he become attached to these songs that he's singing okay well you're imagining like a whole other universe where there is some kind of like fairy tale blockbuster well, we video do have an SCU now. <laughs> where there was like big. a gap there was like a farbucks like all those brands existed but like had analogs so why not like a well, I can't really come up with a name, but like a blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sleeping Beauty's Tower Records. Exactly. Oh, no, they did. Actually, Tower Records. What was it? 
Oh man, there was a Tower Records like on the street, and I saw it, but they like messed with the name. This is how you can tell that Brandis works in advertising. I know. I was like clocking all of those brand names. Did you see all the brands in those movies, guys? <laughs> <Many brands. laughs> there was actually a Tower Records. That's cool. I assume that in the Shrek universe, um, Donkey singing "I'm a Believer," and that the band The Monkeys is real monkeys. That would be my assumption. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, they, they, they totally should be real monkeys. Oh my god, I love yeah. that. It'd be like the monkeys <laughs> from like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, or just yeah, the Jungle Book or something, right? That makes complete sense. I see no flaw. No notes. Airtight. Before we continue with our episode, here's a word from our sponsor. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing podcasting made easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is podcasting made easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. You had mentioned Funky Town earlier. Um, I have a very embarrassing story about this song, and I really have to share it. (laughs) I was driving home from work. I would have been, like, in high school. But I was driving home from work one day, and I guess I was listening to the Shrek 2 soundtrack. And I was singing Funky Town at the top of my lungs. And then I... (laughs) as you do. And then I got home and saw that we had a voicemail and I had apparently butt dialed my house phone and thank God it went to voicemail, but there was a voicemail of me singing Funky Town. And I'm so glad no one picked up the phone. And I wish I had saved it, but it was so funny. I was gonna say, like, did you save it? Are you like sampling it? I think I just quickly deleted it and pretended it never happened, but now I'm like, oh, I wish I had saved that. It's incredible. It should be your ringtone. It's amazing. I love that. I wish you did save it. Like, that'd be really great. <laughs> yeah. But next time I butt dial while singing Funky Town, I'll be sure to send it to you guys. <laughs> like, there, uh, there's some kind of, like, I don't know. There's some songs that trigger that thing in your brain where I must do bad karaoke to this now. Yeah. But, like, what, are you going to not sing along to Funky Town? I don't even want to meet a person that wouldn't be willing to sing along to Funky Town. At the top of their lungs. Yeah. Like, anyone that sings it not at the yeah. top of their lungs, they're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. You're not doing it right. I'm not doing life right. It's Tower of London Records, guys, right next to the Gap Queen. Sorry, what is it? Tower of London Records. Uh, Tower of London Records. Which is okay. weird. I don't know that I fully approve of like that pun, but it's not really a, a fairy tale. <laughs> I liked my sleeping these Tower Records better, but that's a little long. Maybe that doesn't fit on a sign. Should be like Rapunzel's Tower of Records or like something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that what it is? Who's? I'm like, who's in the tower? Which one? <laughs> right. <laughs> Which one's in the tower? We'll workshop it. <laughs> so I do want to say that uh, that Shrek came out in an era of I think, I think a really golden era of soundtracks. Shrek One uh, certainly came out in a very stacked year. Uh, it actually lost the best soundtrack BAFTA to Moulin Rouge. 
and it lost the Grammy to A Brother Where Art Thou, which which one lose... album of the year? Yeah, so if you're gonna if you're gonna lose to um, anyone, I feel like you losing to those two isn't isn't so bad. But it was nominated, so I think that's a that's a credit to the the music um, in that first film and how I think it, it, how interesting it was it, given like the landscape. So the landscape was people were definitely doing new things with soundtracks. Yeah, it went double platinum. And it's one of those soundtracks kind of like the um, covered this, I think, with Tarzan, where you have people like 20 years later, like tweeting, like, why did they go so hard with the Shrek 1 soundtrack? <laughs> right. That's totally a thing, right? Is that I feel like Shrek lives in, in meme culture, maybe more than it lives in, in movie or music culture. That's where it has kind of taken on its second life. Uh, the the idea that these soundtracks go so hard and like absolutely do not have to <laughs> is funny to me. Um, but I think it also comes from like maybe a, a sense of of real craft and pride that at the time, I think DreamWorks really had something to prove. They didn't want to be Disney. They had something to prove. And I think that's what comes through in these first couple of soundtracks is we want to do the anti-that. So even if it's a little bit weird and doesn't totally fit the film, that's okay. That's what we want. And they achieved it. What's funny is like Shrek had been sitting around at DreamWorks for a really long time and they were trying to figure out how to make it work. And it got a reputation at one point as being the Siberia of DreamWorks. Like, um, you don't fit on that project. Um, I guess we'll just have you work on Shrek for a while. <laughs> And uh, at, at one point in 1997, um, Chris Farley was kind of cast. He was kind of uh, in their sights to be Shrek instead of Mike Myers, which I understand because, you know, Far Farley kind of has that uh, sitting on a toilet reading a, a storybook and ripping out pages sort of vibe all the time. Uh, which is weird. This is the second movie I think we've covered recently where Farley was kind of tapped to be the lead like he was an elf and then they replaced him with another saturday mm -hmm. night, saturday night live <laughs> alum and perhaps for the better i can't see shrek as not having that scottish accent for whatever reason it that accent came out of nowhere too didn't it i think he just did that on his own mike myers i don't think that was intended yeah, I don't think it was like in the in the screenplay, like no. with Scottish accent. I think he just felt like that's what an ogre would sound like. Yeah, I think. No, I think it. I think it works because you know, like things that are storybook or like weirdly European, but nobody knows why. Like, there's always some like random accent that comes from out of the blue sky. I want to say that he might have been doing like a Scottish character on SNL previous to shrek I, I also remember him doing the scottish accent in so i married an axe murderer yep. if anyone remembers that movie so i think it was his go-to like i have this like funny thing in my back pocket fat bastard it's kind of a fat bastard voice as well so um but it really works here i, I can't imagine mike myers not being shrek which they're just linked forever it's there is no world. Yeah, I love in the second one when Prince Charming is acting like he is Shrek. And then Fiona is like, your voice. Like, I loved that, like, subtle nod of, like, yeah, no one's replacing Mike Myers' voice. Like, as Shrek, it's, like, so 
unique and like identifiable. I loved that like very subtle like joke in there. What do we all think of Human Shrek? Human Shrek's weird. Yeah. So right? like I don't have thoughts about Human Shrek, but I do like thoughts about all of the men who are supposed to be quote unquote like super hot. <laughs> it's like this animation style was like a little bit weird because again they're trying to be like not Disney, so they're making people's faces like a little bit more like the character style. But I do feel like they did the more like uh, you know stereotypical like beauty for like the female characters like more on point than they did the men who are supposed to be like classically stereotypically like hot because all of the quote unquote hot men looked like really weird to me <laughs> and like with like really creepy like mouths and smiles. And I was like, is he Prince Charming though? Like, is he? And then we're like, Shrek <laughs> is supposed to be like the hot dude and like all the female like um, characters are like fawning over him. And I'm like, really? Him? Yeah. Like, do these animators not know how to do like a hot animated dude? I think it's possible that there might've been some limitations to how they animated, you know, human beings at that point too. They were kind of like finding their way. I don't know, Austin, like, would you human back? <laughs> But I what's oh human check no I mean it was uh, <laughs> no I kind of forgot that <laughs> no <laughs> I forgot that happened to be honest I forgot that entire plot point um, I think it was kind of a fun a fun thing for them to do but yeah I see what you mean about the kind of weird mouth thing um, I feel like all of the characters are a little bit uncanny I guess in some ways but just the yeah. animation style but I felt like the men were like more uncanny than the women because again those like farmers like maidens whatever like they were fine fiona was fine like they didn't look like weird but like the men looked like they were serial killers like they were creepy <laughs> they're all looking like army hammer um yeah no wow. they, they sorry what do we like army hammer is no. it bad to say bad things about army nope um nope yeah they looked weird <laughs> Hard pass. I always felt it was kind of like a, it's like a Beauty and the Beast thing. Like when the beast turns into the human, it's the same kind of like aversion that you have. Like, go back to being the beast. Weird. It's like more of that for me. I feel like Pixar has had a human problem for a while too. Yeah. If you go back and you revisit the early Pixar films, like the first Toy Story, and you look at Sid from the first Toy Story versus the humans that they have in, in Toy Story 4 or whatever they're on now, huge difference. Um, much less uncanny to, to Austin's point. Like everybody just does look kind of like uncanny and, and creepy, I think. And maybe it's just harder to do masculine faces than it is feminine faces. I don't know. I'm not an animator, but there's something there for sure. It's a little... A little I mean, I thought Farquaad was just supposed to look creepy because he's supposed to look like Michael Eisner. Right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Intentionally creepy. Um, and still is. It's like to such a degree that like he's kind of the perfect like meme response to any given thread, I feel like. And John Lithgow, perfect voice for that. Perfect voice for that. Yeah, I co I, I forgot that um there's that Pete Yorn Buzzcocks cover in the second film. But I remember um I used to cover that song when I would play with friends and uh, my friend's daughter was like, Oh, it's that Shrek two song. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's so funny. Well, no, the eels, the eels lead singer has a story about how like his kid was potty training and had its like, first successful 
BM to like one of the songs on the Shrek soundtrack and was like upset. Like, that's you, dad. Like, I want to sing on the Shrek soundtrack or some weird thing. Like, he tells a story. He tells a story in an interview. Like, yeah, my kid. Like, that's how he knows about my friend. (laughs) So, on the Shrek 2 soundtrack, you know, we were talking about how the Shrek 1 had kind of had proven that this soundtrack format works, right? So they were able to get David Bowie and they were able to get Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and Tom Waits. They were also big enough to reject the Pixies. So there is only one, I think, released song by the reunited Pixies with Kim Deal called Bam Thwok. And the story is that they were asked to record a song for Shrek 2 and Shrek 2 passed on it. And that is the only song that you have from the Pixies with Kim Deal since they got back together and then she left again. Wow. So is Shrek responsible for them splitting up again? Maybe indirectly or maybe Kim Deal was like, yeah, it's not a good song and I'm out. We can't prove that they're <laughs> not responsible. So. Yeah, Shrek, the producers of Shrek they rejected them and then Kim Deal was like well if we're not good enough for Shrek then we're not we shouldn't be making new music I mean what is there is no life after Shrek I feel like Frank Black would turn in the most inappropriate song for that homework assignment I don't like the Pixies are so not kid friendly but he uh, he's done he did a great song for the Powerpuff Girls soundtrack I did not know that that is news to me it's a fantastic song so interesting. Somebody knows the real reason, and I would love to know the actual tea. Why they passed on it or why Kim Deal left? Both, but mostly why they passed on it. Because it's not a very good song. Mm. They released it as like an iTunes like single. So I was like, oh, Pixies, and I bought it. I was like, mm, I see why they passed on it. What do we feel is like the most maybe 2000s dated song on this soundtrack because I feel like there's a lot of there's a pretty broad mixture of you know artists from the 70s from the 80s like a pretty good span but then there are definitely some things that feel connected to that era um aside from Smash Mouth because I feel like we can't include them in this conversation I was gonna say um Smash Mouth aside from Smash Mouth, yeah maybe um the obviously Bahaman. that's the thing that puts them there what's that oh yeah the Bahaman the Bahamut is what yeah. I was going to say. I'm like, okay, only in like the year, whatever, like 2002, would you pick the Bahamut to be on your soundtrack? Yeah. Maybe accidentally in love as well, like Dashboard Confessional. But Yeah, I was going to, I was going to second Dashboard Confessional. One of those, one of those like acts that just, I can't deal with in any form whatsoever. They, they were big business at this time though. They were huge. He, they, they had the huge. Spider-Man 2 end credits song. I know. Huge. Bizarre, but... Opening for you too. Yeah, what was that guy's name? Chris Caraba? Yeah, he, also very fun to sing at the top of your lungs. Yeah. It's good, like, I'm about to fall asleep in the car. I need to wake myself up, so I'm just going to do dashboard <laughs> confessional karaoke for like half an hour. Well, yeah, I mean, considering Chris Caraba doesn't have, like, a voice that is hard to replicate, like, you you can just scream it out, and you're kind of doing the same thing. Oh, that's the whole point of that band. Respectfully. No, I mean, have you seen the Dashboard Confessional Unplugged, where it's just, like, the audience singing along to every song, like, the whole time? Yeah, I think that's the whole It just sounds like campfire sing-along. 
Yeah, it's like you're at a church youth group. <laughs> Pretty much. Respectfully. <laughs> Vita Loca was also like very much a moment in time as well. Like yeah. <laughs> that one was like absolutely on the nail of like that year. Also Fru-Fru. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of connections here between this and kind of the Garden State soundtrack for me. I feel like there's a lot of kind of weird Venn diagram overlap where I can see certain songs being on both, which feels very weird, but I think just kind of speaks to the, the era that we were in. Yeah, I could see Pete Yorn in a Zach Braff vehicle. 100%. I believe the soundtrack supervisor for the second film was uh, Chris Doritas, who I believe was a KCRW DJ at one point. Oh, he for sure was. Remember him fondly. That's so interesting. I, I mean, I wanted to pick this because I kind of like thought it would be fun to bust on. And that was my original like, oh, this will be just like silly to talk about and to go back and to look at some of these kind of like early aughts artists. But it it actually made me realize that there are some things about the Shrek soundtracks for one and two in particular that are that were kind of like important and felt new. Um, and there is no shortage of like, thinky pieces or reddit threads where you can find people that will full-throatedly advocate for the shrek soundtracks being like goaded like this is these are the best soundtracks of all time and people mean that when they say it so i don't know i just kind of wanted to like feel it out why why or why not do we feel like the shrek soundtracks are are important for me i think um when they when the movies came out like and when I was a little bit older, I guess, I, I really loved soundtracks as a way to discover new artists and things like that. So I feel like this was kind of right around the time where I was buying a lot of movie soundtracks or TV soundtracks and learning new music that I wouldn't really have found otherwise. So I think the eclecticness of it, I like, even if it is that weird range of music from Smash Mouth to Leonard Cohen or Rufus Wainwright. But um yeah, I think that's what appeals to me about it. And I think it's still what appeals to me about it. How about you, Brandis? I mean, I've already said my piece. <laughs> I just wish that they, like, took what was, like, quote-unquote revolutionary about this and what was irreverent, and they just drilled down a bit more. Yeah, and I think, you know, where the Shrek movies made today, I, I think you would get more of that approach. I think this this kind of speaks to a moment where people were figuring it out and this hadn't really been done in animation before. And, and you feel a little bit of that tension and some of it works and some of it doesn't. I think as a as a sum of songs on a couple of different soundtracks, I, I think I'm with Austin. I think the reason why I had kind of un, unrealized nostalgia for this is because it, it really was a gateway for a couple of things and a couple of like cool discoveries for me. Because I'm certain at this time, like I was not a young person like deep in the Leonard Cohen catalog and and now I'm like so grateful that I am and I and I have Rufus Wainwright to thank for that and and his cover of the song to thank for that had that not been included and so like mass the mass availability of, of this you know who knows I'm it probably would have taken uh, a lot longer uh, even though Rufus Wainwright I guess was like super bummed out that he had to feel obligated to play this song yeah, didn't they also like kind of force him to do it? Like, hey, you've got an album coming out in three months. Like, can you put this song on a soundtrack? Yeah, I mean, I think he feels weird about it, right? Because it's it's first of all, Leonard Cohen is a, a legend, a musical legend, and so I think um, 
it was not his favorite thing to do and it's not his favorite thing to be associated with because it's not his but the upshot of that i guess is that for the normies like us that were in our blockbuster videos with our um you know illegal case of smirnoff ice this was a nice discovery yeah, i think i think that trek is kind of this weird like unicorn where like it shouldn't work as well as it did both as a story and both musically like you know i don't like all-star but it works so well at the beginning of this movie and you know i'm usually not a fan of like these kind of jukebox sort of soundtracks a lot of them are covers right and but it all works so i i it's one of those things where like it shouldn't work but it works and then i think yeah, I think the legacy of Shrek made me kind of resent Shrek for a while because, like, all these animated movies started doing all these pop culture references and they started loading up the soundtracks and, yeah, you know, it was just, like, all these diminishing returns. Um, so it was kind of nice to go back and revisit Shrek for just enjoying Shrek. And I really enjoyed the first movie. The, sound, the second one I enjoyed until, like, maybe, like, the last 20 minutes kind of jumped the shark for me but oh wait hot why didn't you like the last 20 minutes (laughs) um i don't know like i i really liked it until the uh they started watching them on tv like the gingerbread man and all them when they got involved and i was like oh i guess we're gonna do an mission possible thing we're going to make a joke about wearing women's underwear. Like, okay, I guess. I guess the climax just didn't work for me. Yeah, I was going to say it's like gingerbread man. When the most, when the tension gets the hottest, the ultimate like climax, you're like, nah, now you lost my attention. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. But I definitely resent them for like making all these animated films have like these big, like musical numbers at the end where like everyone just starts dancing. Oh, see, I will never complain about that. Oh, uh, you won't? I love a good dance party at the end of a movie. Maybe it's the Ricky Martin that bothered me. <laughs> Fair. Because I definitely didn't mind it as much at the end of Minions, where it's, I think, the Bee Gees. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely like, oh, you got that from Shrek. But at least that movie ends with like a dance recital, so... Yeah, and I, I, I think it's kind of become a hallmark of um, DreamWorks movies in large part to to have these uh, kind of increasingly weird uh, musical touchstones. That I don't know if anyone's seen Minions Rise of Gru, but in Minions Rise of Gru that they have the Minions singing You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones, but they're like singing it in Minions. <laughs> it's really stupid, but it's also really funny to me. So I think... I don't know. There's just an element of like fun and whimsy and unexpected that kind of filters into these movies. And I also kind of don't mind like a big karaoke dumb dance party because it's fun. It's fine. I'm okay with it. Their Barbara Ann cover is also very good. I mean, it is. Yeah, I've gone soft. That's what it is, really. It's an animated film. They're allowed to have fun, guys. No, I watched too many Pixar movies where you're supposed to be crying at the end. That's what. <laughs> oh, that's geez. the other thing too. Is like, doesn't this kind of feel like the anti what we know of like modern Pixar films, which I love. 
I love Pixar and I love everything that they do with storytelling. They're brilliant, but they are really fucking sad. Sometimes I don't yeah. want to cry at like some super emotional part of myself that's being like actively manipulated by Wally. Like shit, life's really depressing. Pixar, you're right. Man, those movies are hard to watch. I watch them with my kid and he'll be like kind of okay, but I'll be like experiencing 20 different like, really horrible <laughs> things and trying to hold it in. Yeah, there are like two bawling points in every single Pixar and like Pixar-esque Disney film. It's the first five minutes because that's how you get attached to the main character is the parents die. And then there's like the climax where some other sort of like huge sad like moment happens, like guaranteed. I've seen and up. you didn't see that in any of these tracks. Yeah, I've seen Up one time. One. Oh yeah, no. Up is yeah. Up is like brutal. But whereas, like, with Shrek, right, like, infinite rewatchability, there's nothing serious about Shrek. There are no stakes in Shrek. It's silly and goofy and bright and fun. And maybe that's what people really like about it is that kind of, like, two-dimensionality of, like, there being really no – it's just fun. It's a parody. It's ridiculous. Um, people, I think, like that about some of these, like, late 90s, early aughts movies, too, that really capture that, like, nobody's worried about anything kind of moment, and now we're just worried about everything, so maybe that's where, like, the meme culture and the nostalgia stuff starts to kind of wrap in. Maybe people want to revisit Shrek for those reasons. Shrek's important, guys. Yeah, that, that was very beautiful. <laughs> Those, like, Reddit threads that Nicole is mentioning about all the people who are, like, standing for the Shrek movies and the soundtracks, those are really, like, all of her different, like, burner handles, guys. <laughs> yeah, she's all Nicole having no. conversations with her. All of those are, are me. I'm the moderator of the Shrek fan group on Reddit. All right. So um, our final question for today. So the Shrek soundtracks have a lot of covers. Some, like the Rufus Wainwright one, we may like a lot. Uh, what is one cover song that you think is as good or better than the original? And uh, we know Brandis's answer is Hurt by Johnny Cash. Oh, so this is any song, not just like on these soundtracks. Correct. Yeah. I, uh, I hate you for totally that totally missed my dig at you. <laughs> no, I got it. I got it. I was just like confused because I was like, that's not in this film. Brandis doesn't um, have a, her camera on because steam is coming out of her ears. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I hate all covers of Hurt. There should only be one version, and that is for Reznor's. Thank you. <laughs> this is a hard question because I, I can't think of an answer. I have. They're supposed to be hard questions. The final question is always supposed to be a hard question. This is when hard, we remember to do it. Hitting. There's a there's a cover of Let, Bowie's Let's Dance by an artist called M Ward that I've always really loved because I think any good cover needs to bring something different to the table. And it's very, it's very slow down tempo, like slow burn. I've always really loved that version. Is it better than the original Let's Dance? I, I feel like Let's Dance is such a like glossy 80s kind of thing. You almost can't imagine it being slow. And, and so I love that pivot. Um, God, there are so many things that I love that Cat Power has done because uh, she is famous for doing covers. I, her Sea of Love cover is incredible, you know, Nirvana's cover of like, you know, In the Pines is incredible. There's, I feel like there are a lot of answers to this and I would need a lot longer to think about it. My mind has suddenly gone blank of all covers. I can't think of a single song that exists. Off the top of my head, this by no means, I think, 
if I had time to think about it, it would be my answer. But off the top of my head and super timely with like how big Stranger Things made um, running up that hill, I actually prefer the Meg Myers version than the original one. Whose cover of that song? You say Meg, Meg Myers? Myers? Yeah. I wasn't familiar with her at all. I just like heard like the cover of that song and I was like, oh, I really like this. And I wasn't that familiar with the original either, but definitely upon hearing the original now at nauseum on the radio because of Stranger Things, I'm like, oh yeah, I really like uh, Meg Myers better. That's a hard song to cover. So I'm gonna look that up because I'm not familiar with it either. Um, Placebo has a good one. I actually like the placebo one quite a bit. Ryan, what's your answer? Yours is the answer that I'm waiting on being. Oh. I, I'm still trying to think of what my answer is going you to be. I think I had an answer and then I forgot it. You premeditated this question to ask the group and then you didn't have an answer. I can't ambush you with this question and I'd be like, I already thought of mine. Mine's great. I would have done that. Oh. Oh. Yeah. It's a hard question. I mean, I, I do love Pavement's cover of uh, Echo and the Bunnymen's Killing Moon. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good answer. Very Ryan answer. Which most people know from uh, Donnie Darko, the the original. I was trying to think yeah. of something that was like a little bit more known by more than like one corner of the internet, but that's what well, I got. This is a niche. This is we're fine. I think we're okay at this point. Talking about things for only like very small corners of the internet is kind of like what we do. So yeah, that's true. Shrek, not not counting this episode about Shrek. So have you guys watched Shrek the Musical by any chance? Or did we top out after the third? I, I you know, I'm really notoriously bad about knowing about musicals and watching musicals. So t- tell us more. Yeah, well, I, 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 it was on Netflix for a while. That's why I asked. But I feel like it was another one where I watched it. And then I was like this. I wish I hated this more. <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> Who's in it? I didn't even know this existed. Yeah. Oh, no, it exists. It, um, let me quickly look into this here. Um, it was, let's see, how long did it play? It was 2008 to 2010 on Broadway. Yeah. Uh huh. With, um, oh my gosh, his name is escaping me. Brian Darcy James played Shrek. Sutton Foster was Princess Fiona. So it's like kind of a stacked Broadway cast, to be honest. And he was uh, full makeup. Yeah, one of the few people I'm familiar with from that scene. She is fantastic. So if she was in it, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like that was that was how I felt watching it and or listening to it. Is like I wish I hated this more. So like I'm not that mad about it. How did they like? What was what were the numbers like? Because did they? Do- I honestly I don't know it well. I I I just kind of more asked it as uh, a joke more than anything because it's not something that I'm super familiar with. I did toy with the idea of trying to find it again to watch it before we recorded, um, but it looks like a lot of the music. Like I'm trying to look at it. Seems like a lot of original songs inspired. Yeah, by... it's mostly it was original. Nominated for eight Tonys. Tonys! Wow! Hey. It does, of course, end with "I'm a Believer" as the encore. Wow. Naturally. <laughs> 
If this is in any way related to people who worked on spam a lot, I am a thousand percent here for it. I can totally see the people that did spam a lot, like doing something like this and it being amazing. Good point. Mm -hmm. It looks like a lot of original songs. And there's also something called the air guitar crossover. <laughs> oh, yes. I, one of the things that I, that always gets me and that I kind of want to see is how they're doing when they make that translation from animation to live action, how they're doing the prosthetics and the makeup. And so now I'm just kind of like sitting here Google imaging what the characters actually look like. And can I tell you that they do not please me? I am disturbed. <laughs> no, it's a little bit upsetting. You got to imagine though that you're like, you know, in a theater and you're at a distance. I think I would need to be very far away from this prosthetic yeah, shrine. The cheap, it is the cheap seats. And wrong. <laughs> it's like one of those like AI, like you put it through like an AI, like illustrator filter, right? You put it through like Dolly or something, like make me a human version, like a real life Shrek. <laughs> and it's just really, really scary. That's what chat GPT would create if you described Shrek. Like 100%. Oh, God. Very scary. Google image it. Yeah, this is definitely like some Jim Henson like <laughs> area of like, this will be in your nightmares and never leave you. Well, yeah. And also, like, I just want to point out that Donkey is literally just in like a party city donkey onesie. So you have Shrek in like full prosthetics and makeup. And then Donkey is like a guy in a onesie <laughs> looking like a Lake Avenue Yikes. Halloween costume. And Farquaad is just as creepy as... See, the I watch musical, movie. people are going to be so mad at me. Like, no, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to Broadway. And it was so I, I don't think it gets too much love. I think you're fine. The Shrek musical <laughs> fans won't come for me. Yeah, if Austin's not uh, fighting for it, then I think you're safe. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be me if I didn't quickly tie it to Broadway somehow and also get out of the really difficult cover question song, or the cover song question, because I don't have an answer. <laughs> I was good. It was a nice way to evade. Good evasive maneuver. Yeah, just dodge that one. <laughs> well, thank you, Austin, for coming back to our podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. This was fun. And uh, you guys are still doing new episodes of I Hate Your Taste in Movies. Uh, we are still doing episodes. Um, we haven't. We're on a bit of a pause right now, a bit of a hate as life kind of got in the way. But we have a. I think we had our 100th episode not too long ago, so there's a pretty good back catalog, and hopefully we'll be back releasing new episodes soon. We release them on Tuesdays, uh, and you can find them anywhere. And where can we find you guys on social? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, we are on Twitter at I Hate Your Taste or on Instagram at Hate Your Taste Pod. Very cool. And you can find us on Twitter at soundtrack underscore your and on instagram at soundtrack cast and uh you can wait for when i go on vacation and nicole brings up another <laughs> another uh silly movie topic for us to cover <laughs> i mean we're gonna have to cover shrek at some point it's it was inevitable why prolong it you know i just accelerated that's the inevitable that's all and uh once again thank you for coming back we always love having you on oh thanks for having me i hope I contributed something. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And congrats on the uh, 100th episode. Oh, thank you. Yeah, congrats. <laughs> and, and, you know, now you're officially part of the SCU, I think. So. Oh, all I ever wanted. That's contributing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I bet no, you didn't even think that was going to happen today. I, I didn't. I did not think about that. 
Well, have a good week, everyone, and we will talk soon. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out, too.